0: Is spirituality really that important or is this just an antiquated notion of yesteryear? Well, join me today because I am discussing some fascinating research about spirituality and what it means for you. Hi, I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Welcome to the Pursue What Matters podcast, where we focus on what it takes to thrive in love and work. So what does spirituality have to do with pursuing what matters? Well, some would say there's nothing more important uh, when you have clarity about who you are and how you fit in the world it really helps you to pursue what matters, to have clarity about life. When we think about spirituality, one word really, I think, can be very helpful. And that is that spirituality brings us perspective, right? And think about how important that is in your life, right? Regardless of what your leadership looks like, if that is, you know, leading yourself, leading at home, leading at work, right? To have perspective really makes all the difference. And, you know, one of the things I'm fond of talking about is this idea that uh, one of the lead, one of a leader's most important responsibilities is to understand what matters, right? And this requires perspective. And so I want to share with you today some really compelling uh, research about the power of spirituality in our lives. Um, and I want to be clear, right, that spirituality is not necessarily the same as religion. And I'm going to talk about some of those findings and in- And how that can sometimes be confusing for folks, but the bottom line is our discussion today is going to help you to have more resilience, to cope better with life's challenges, and to truly pursue what? Matters. So I'm really excited to bring this book to you. So of course, every week with the podcast, my goal is to help you pursue what matters by strengthening your confidence to lead. I try to do that in one of three areas, either clarity, curiosity, or leading and building a community. And today we're really uh, focusing on helping you lead with clarity, which is all about connecting to purpose and meaning and living a spiritual life helps us to do that. And you don't have to take my word for it. I'm going to share some of the research. And then if you would like to follow up with this great book, I would, I would love for you to do that. We're also going to be talking about how you can lead with curiosity because, you know, the awakened life, a spiritual life requires curiosity, right? It requires some contemplation. And so at any way that we're able to cultivate, um, this skill of curiosity, and I really do believe it is a skill The better off we'll be. It helps us to make better decisions, to see ourselves clearly, to see others more clearly. And, you know, that can really, you know, simplify a lot of life's challenges. So, um, we're going to help you. In those two primary ways. So let's start with an introduction of the book and the author. So the book we're talking about today is The Awakened Brain, the new science of spirituality and our quest for an inspired life. So this book is quite New and yeah, I hadn't heard about it. And boy, this is the kind of book that I totally geek out about. I was actually at dinner um, with a great friend, um, a fellow psychologist, and she was reading this book and she recommended it and and even said, you know, I think you would probably appreciate this book. And so I was uh, getting on uh, a flight the next day. So I did. I got I got um, an audio version and listened to it on the plane. And let me tell you, it was really fascinating. I loved it. And then, of course, I've been reading um, the the paper version and getting a lot out of it. So this is a very pleasant book to listen to. It's a really enjoyable book to read um, because she weaves in her personal story and, and her experience of uh, awakening, right? And that word might feel a little uncomfortable for you, but I want to pin it down a little bit more as we go through. And that's exactly what this author does. And so who is the author. The author is Dr. Lisa Miller. So she's um, PhDs. I think, I believe she's a psychologist and she has really dedicated her career to studying spirituality. Um, First of all, you know, is it a thing, right? Like, is it something that exists for us? And she's done extensive, um, neuroimaging studies to, to confirm and pin down exactly where in the brain we are wired for spirituality. And it's really fascinating research. And so that's one big thread of her research. The other big thread of her research is how spirituality can be protective, right? So getting practical and really thinking about does spirituality help us? Um, as humans does it protect us from mental health concerns does it help us to um, build resilience does it help us to get through the challenges of life and her findings are profound she's in fact she's won the templeton award for some of her research she's gotten some major grants um, to take a look at this and she began researching these things when you know spiritual the study of spirituality and the study of religion right both of those topics were very very unpopular um, in psychology and there was a Belief, right? Which maybe some people still hold on to this, but there was a belief that spirituality or to study spirituality was very squishy, right? That psychologists kind of needed to, um, to, you know, prove themselves with, you know, really hard science, which, and I say that in quotes because, right, like whatever that means. And so there was a collective issuing of uh, research related to spirituality and religion. And I know that because I was a graduate school student during this time and I actually worked with, um, you know, my research advisor, one of my research advisors um, was actually doing groundbreaking research on spirituality and religion. He's got several Great um, books geared towards psychologists and um, academics on this topic. But I, you know, I saw his experience and I also had my own experience of doing this research as a graduate student and finding um, that the world of psychology, right? So the, the research institution, the cl- clinical world, they really um, didn't have much appetite for it. And it really wasn't until some of uh, Dr. Miller's ground ba- groundbreaking research that psychologists and, you know, more generally, social scientists started to take the uh, the role of spirituality and religion more seriously. Now, uh, Lisa Miller studies mostly spirituality, so we'll we'll keep to that focus today. But certainly um that includes the study of religion right like so it's it's been interesting i feel like i have had a front row seat to kind of see that evolution and now we are at a place where you know collectively right like as a world um researchers psychologists social scientists recognize the value of spirituality, right? Now, um, we might not value it as much as other um, interventions, but there is, you know, even if it's a begrudging acceptance of spirituality, that that does exist for many people. Um, But I do think we owe a lot to Dr. Miller and her groundbreaking research. And of course, she has a lot of colleagues um, that she has collaborated with over the years. Um, But she documents that research here, but she also talks about her own personal spiritual journey. And it's beautiful. Um, She has some really powerful examples. And so I would say it feels like a personal um, memoir, but one that you would want to read, right? We don't always want to read other people's stories, but she does a really lovely job. And so this is a very engaging read. So let's hear what others are saying. So Deepak Chopra, of course, we know him. Um, he has said about this book a new revolu- revolution of health and well-being, and a testament to and celebration of the power within. So I thought that was a really great endorsement. So a little bit, uh, a little bit more about the book. So. So as I said, right, uh, weaving her deeply personal journey of awakening with groundbreaking research, Dr. Lisa Miller's book reveals that humans are universally equipped with a capacity for spirituality. So listen to that. We have a we have an innate capacity for spirituality and that our brains become more resilient and robust as a result so all you business leaders listen up for leaders in business and government truth seekers parents healers educators and any person confronting life's biggest questions the awakened brain brain combines cutting edge science Uh, From MRI studies to genetic research, epidemiology, and more with on the ground application for people of all ages and from all walks of life, illuminating the surprising science of spirituality and how to engage it in our life. So um, it's really, really a great book. And so let me just say a little bit more about Dr. Miller. So she's the New York Times bestselling author of The Spiritual Child and a professor of clinical psychology program at Teachers College, Columbia University. Uh, she's the founder and director of the Spirituality Mind Body Institute, the first Ivy League graduate program in spirituality and psychology. Now that is really saying something, right? And this really, harkens back to some of the resistance in the Academy to accept the role of spirituality. So the fact, the fact that she established the first spirituality mind, body Institute and Ivy league institution is pretty remarkable. Uh, And for over a decade, has held joint appointments in the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University Medical School. So she's had her research published in over 100 uh, peer-reviewed articles. Um, She is really um so well versed in this and has contributed so much to the research and so le- with that let's jump in and learn more about what can be helpful for you so i really highly recommend this book i want to share first some of the research findings, because I think it makes a really compelling case for spirituality and why, right? Regardless of where you're at in your life, regardless of your history with or without um, spirituality to consider cultivating spirituality in your life. Because let me tell you, the case is really strong for the power of spirituality to not only protect us, but to help us cope with life. So first of all, uh, one of the first things that Dr. Miller does is she defines what she means by an awakened brain. And so she, based on the, all of this research, she says that each of us has an awakened brain. We, each of us is endowed with a natural capacity to perceive a greater reality and consciously connect to the life force that moves in, through, and through. Around us. Okay, so that might feel a little confusing, but she does a nice job of breaking that down as we move forward in the book. So our brain has a natural inclination toward the docking station for spiritual awareness, right? So we are wired for spirituality. That's what you need to take home from that. Uh, The awakened brain is the neural circuitry, right? So this is the circuitry of the brain that allows us to see the world more fully and thus enhance our individual, societal, and global well-being, okay? And so if you look at the details of that definition, it's all about perspective. When we have, when we embrace and practice um, cultivating our awakened brain, right? Because we are all wired for spirituality, but not all of us um, live spiritual lives. But when we do that, we bring in perspective, which not only enhances our individual well-being, but societal and global well-being as all and as a whole, okay? And so some of the gifts, what are some of the gifts of um, cultivating an awakened brain? So what she says, and this is of course grounded in the research, we feel more fulfilled And at home in the world, we build relationships and make decisions from a wider view. So there's that perspective idea. Again, we move from loneliness and isolation to connection. We move from competition and division to compassion and altruism. We move from an entrenched focus on our wounds, our problems, and our losses to a fascination with the journey of life. And that's really what she talks about. It is a journey and we are all seekers. We are not meaning makers, we are meaning seekers because, right, we don't make the meaning. Our brains are hardwired to recognize and seek meaning and that that has profound implications for the quality of our life. So we're wired to cultivate a way of being built on an awareness of love, interconnection, and the guidance and surprise of life. Okay. And, you know, if we think about historical or, or general definitions of spirituality, it is this felt sense of, um, not being alone, this interconnectedness and uh, connection to um, a power greater than yourself. Okay, so that is a general definition of spirituality, and she really builds on that with her um, with her explanation of the awakened brain. So now let's think about what is spirituality, right? Because that might be a little confusing, and I would say it can be confusing for everyone, regardless of your faith. History. So, this is how she describes spirituality, right? So, she thinks she encourages you to think about a moment of deep connection with another being, right? whether it's a human, whether it's an animal or in nature. She talks about a feeling of awe or transcendence, right? Have you ever spent a moment where you you watch the sunrise and it just, it takes your breath away and you have this moment of awe? The other night I was um, out on a walk with my guy friend and it was, dark. It was late. It was, you know, probably about 10 PM. Uh, but the moon was so beautiful. And I just had this moment where I just had to stop and take it in that right. It was a small moment. It was a small everyday moment, but that was a moment of awe for me to recognize, right? Like I am such a small part of this vast thing known as life. That's awe. Um, she talks about startling synchronicity, right? So a time in your life where things just lined up or something happened, it's like, wow, like where did that come from? Synchronicity is a key component of spirituality. And she talks about some remarkable experiences in her own life. And they really remind me of events that I've experienced as well. Um, So that feels a little um, like synchronicity right there. But I've had times in my life where it's like I knew, Um, the path that I needed to go on but I had no idea how it would work out and in fact if we just went with the powers of reason right the power of reason like there was no way it would work out and yet it did and it did in, in incredible ways and that is an example of synchronicity so, to round out this definition of spirituality, she talks about a time where maybe you felt held or inspired or buoyed up by something greater than yourself, right? For those of us um, with a strong spiritual connection, right? Those moments of comfort where you can't really explain it, right? It's not about having another person in the room, but those times where you 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 feel deep love. And that absolutely is a core component. Of spirituality. So now let's talk about the benefits, right? What are the benefits of cultivating an awakened brain? Um, and so, right, one thing that she makes, the, the point she makes throughout the book, is that uh, the awakened brain is both inherent to our physiology and invaluable to our health and functioning, right? So it's part of how we're wired, but also helps to improve our health and functioning. So the awakened brain includes a set of innate perceptual capacities. Okay. So this ability to perceive certain things that exist in every person through which we experience love, connection, unity, and a sense of guidance. Okay. Um, That's, that's, how the awakened brain works. There are perceptual capacities. They have studied this very rigorously. Um, And so that's really the first part, right? That we have this capacity. We have this capacity to perceive more than what's just before us in this life. And then of course, the second part is choosing to engage these perceptual capacities, learning to cultivate these practices that really strengthen these perceptual capacities. So she talks about it is making full use of how we're built, right? Our brains become structurally healthier and better connected as we cultivate these perceptual capacities. So there's lots of psychological benefits. So less depression, anxiety, substance use, and more positive psychological traits such as grit, resilience, optimism, tenacity and creativity. And I don't know about you, but I think those all sound really great. And of course, we're able to do all of that with greater purpose and meaning. So we see our part in the greater fabric of life we develop a shared responsibility, not only for ourselves, but those we are sharing um, life with, and right, even at a global level. And, you know, the, the key here is that we need to choose to engage these perceptual capacities, right? Because just like any other muscle, right? She describes this as a muscle um, that we want to learn to strengthen; otherwise, it will atrophy. And you can certainly see that in folks who um, deny any spiritual life. They, right? They. They don't have uh, they don't have strong neural connections in these areas of the brain, and the result of that is life is harder, and they're more vulnerable to the to the impacts of life. Okay, so I just want to quickly share some of the most um, compelling findings. Uh, she goes into a lot of detail about these, but it's it's conversational, right? So there's it's it's really good, um, but I just want to cover. Some of the big findings. So and I'm certainly not covering all of them because she's got some extensive research here. But one of the findings was that there is an intergenerational transmission of spiritualities, right? So if you um, if you come from a legacy of spirituality, right? Which is not the same as religion, but spirituality, you are better protected. Now, this is the finding. And let me just tell you, in social science, you never have findings like this. It's remarkable. So she found that intergenerational transmission of spirituality held the same astounding 80% protective benefit. It was the largest protective effect I'd seen anywhere in the resilience literature. Okay, so what that means is if you come from, let's say, a family or relationships where there is strong spirituality, and that spirituality is um, transmissed to you, right? taught to you, cultivated, helping, helping you to understand the spiritual life, you have an 80% protective benefit against the challenges of life. So an example of this is that a child is 5 times less likely to be depressed when they have a spiritual life that is shared with their mother. Right? So in a very real way we can pass down our spiritual our spirituality and our ability to perceive the spiritual life to our children and that creates Incredible protective um, effects for them, much stronger than any sort of intervention would ever be. This is compelling. She won um, a Templeton Prize for that research. And of course, it led to a lot more research along those lines. So really incredible findings. Another finding that's really compelling has to do with twin research, right? Now, twin studies are the gold standards because gold standard, right? Because when you have identical twins, then you can recognize that you know their genetic makeup is exactly the same, and so it really gives you a lot of really valuable information. And so, you know, there are some big twin uh, databases, and uh, so she participated in some research, and then there was also a researcher, Dr. Kendler. He was really looking at the difference between personal spirituality okay so this personal connection to a higher power it doesn't have to be God it can just be in a power greater than yourself and those who strictly adhere to the rule of religion. okay So we think about the difference here between cultivating spirituality and um, being a, a member of a religion. And so, you know, let's give some examples. So individuals who ranked high on personal, personal spirituality um, really ranked high on frequency of seeking spiritual comfort, frequency of private prayer, right? So think about cultivating this personal relationship of who am I in the world and where do I stand? Um, So this could be with a higher power, could be with God, it could be um, with the larger good. Whereas those who Scored high on a strict adherence to the rule of religion, they um, really endorse items such as belief that God rewards and punishes. So, right, it's kind of that rule of law, um, a literal belief in the Bible. And uh, so, what kendler found from this research is that certainly you could have people that were high in both okay so they were high in personal devotion so spiritual um, a a strong personal spirituality and they could also be high in the the strict adherence to the rule of religion right and that certainly happens Uh, but not the majority of those studied were high in both of those. What he actually found was that people were typically high in personal spirituality and low on adherence to religion and, you know, vice versa. And so this is what's important to recognize, right? That, um, from kendler's research it was the first major empirical study supporting the important distinction that people can be spiritual with or without being religious and religious with or without being spiritual now for those of us who you know who are on a spiritual path this research which is stunning confirms what most of us know right that you can you can go to church or to a synagogue right you can you can follow the structure of religion and never have a spiritual moment now to me right as a person of faith that's heartbreaking and that should never happen but we know that it happens quite a bit and that is what uh kendler found in his research um and you can right the and vice versa is true you can have someone that never sets a foot in a church um, or synagogue or any sort of organized religion and they can be deeply spiritual right they can have a much more robust spiritual life than the folks sitting in the pews and so it's really important to recognize um that religious is not the same as spiritual. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, And so he also found three really key correlations between spirituality and mental health, right? So he looked at the difference between, you know, strict adherence to religion and spirituality and found that there were really positive correlations between cultivating a personal spiritual life and mental health. So first, the first finding was that low levels of depressive symptoms are related to high levels of personal devotion or personal spirituality, okay? So if you have a lot of spirituality, this personal spirituality, you're less likely to be depressed. So there's a case for spirituality right there. Second, the second finding he found that personal devotion or that personal spirituality can serve as as a buffer against the negative psychological effects of stressful life events, such as illness, divorce, or loss of a loved one. Um, and so, right? It it makes you less likely likely to be depressed, but also cultivating a strong spiritual life um, makes helps you weather life storms um, better, right? So personal devotion, a sense of a personal relationship with a higher power was the active ingredient that carried the protective benefit with or without religion. Okay, so we often like to say religion saves. And this research says, No, slow down the bus there. It's actually personal devotion. So you can have that in or outside of a religion, but it is personal devotion. It is personal spirituality that actually, that's the active ingredient that helps to protect us from life's challenges. Um, It's not church alone. It's not synagogue alone. It's not sitting in a pew alone that will do it. And I think for most of us who who consider ourselves on a, uh, a path of faith, know that. Right. And, um, it, it doesn't mean that we don't struggle with that, but we, we recognize, um, you know, the inherent hypocrisy, quite frankly, at times in that, Okay. Um, And then the third finding from that research, he found that personal devotion, that personal spirituality decreased the lifetime risk for alcoholism and nicotine dependence. And so in a nutshell, spiritual people are less likely to be addicted. Okay. So it, it serves as a protector. So if you have a genetic predisposition towards addiction, you should cultivate a spiritual life. And, you know, when we think about um, addictions treatment, right? So I've spent a lot of years in that world. Um, is there any wonder that AA is one of the most effective interventions, right? There are lots of... um psychological approaches, the results aren't that good. But one thing I think most of us know intuitively, and the research certainly backs this up, is that if you want to get over an addiction, you need spirituality in your life, right? And if we think about um, the the 10 steps of AA, they are all about acknowledging a higher power, right? Spirituality is, um, is woven in throughout all of AA, all of um, the ten steps, and so I don't think that that is a mystery, and we have some confirmation of what might be happening there. Okay, another finding uh, quickly, is, and this is for adults and teens, but I'm going to talk about the study with teens um, that you know teens with a strong personal spirituality were 35 to 75 percent less likely to experience clinical depression, okay? And so her, one of her studies really shows spirituality to be um, so protective against mental health concerns, nearly twice as protective in teens as in adults. And if you take a step back and look at that, right, like that might sound like, okay, that's pretty good. But there There is no other mental health intervention, clinical or pharmacological. So think about pills, think about therapy, think about all the different therapeutic interventions. None of them, none of them for adults or teens has anything close to these prevention rates. So if you care about your kids, if you care about their well-being, you should help them cultivate the spiritual life. It will be it will be probably the most protective thing that you could do to set the foundation for lifelong well being. The other thing related to this finding is that folks who are at the greatest risk for mental illness, due to say their developmental stage, so we think about teenagers, they actually have the most to gain from spirituality. So the most at risk individuals, right, for depression, anxiety, other mental health concerns, actually get a ton of benefit from a spirituality practice. Um, and you know, I, I think if we just think about that anecdotally, right, think about the hard times in your life, the Most challenging times in your life, whether that was developmental, whether that was a result of other um, experiences, traumatic experiences, those experiences bring you to your knees, literally and spiritually speaking, right? Because you have to try and find um, a way to make sense of what's happening to you. And the spiritual life helps you to expand your perspective. It helps you to integrate these deeply painful experiences into the larger narrative of your life and the larger narrative of life, right? Recognizing that life is bigger than any one person. So um, spirituality helps us to make sense of these experiences. It helps us to cope with these experiences. And in a very real way, right? If we allow it, if we cultivate these perceptual capacities, we become more resilient. And that is remarkable to me. Okay, the last thing that I want to share with you before I um, identify three ways to cultivate um, the awakened brain is that from this extensive body of research, what Dr. Miller has found is that depression and spirituality are two sides of the same coin. So you can think about depression as spiritual hunger right you can think about depression as spiritual loss spiritual yearning right that there is a disconnection spiritually for the depressed individual now that is not to say that there aren't plenty of other things going on because of course we want to have a healthy uh respect for that but depression is one side of that coin and then spirituality is the other. So as we cultivate these perceptual capacities, we in a very real way help to protect ourselves from depression. We help ourselves to um, heal from depression, right? So of course we know that depression and the spiritual life are very different experiences, but they actually share some very significant physiology. And so that's why she talks about them being um, two sides of the same coin. And she has a really Um, Very fascinating discussion of that. And so, right, if you're prone to depression, if you have folks in your life who struggle with depression, uh, considering spiritual practices would be very, very indicated, right, based on the research. Something that would absolutely be worth your time. So then she wraps up the book um, towards the end, right? So she makes the case for um, why having an awakened brain and cultivating the spiritual life is valuable. And then she ends the book by talking about three key ways to bring the wisdom of our awakened brain into our daily lives. And so she talks about this in three ways. So awakened attention, so seeing seeing everything, right? Like having more perspective, Um awakened connection, right? So when we cultivate a spiritual life, how are we connecting with others? How do we connect with ourselves? How do we connect with our higher power? And then the third one is the awakened heart. Um, So how do we, what are the choices that we make? How do we have empathy and care for others, even individuals that we don't know? So these three keys in terms of, uh, cultivating the awakened brain she then discusses some specific ways that you can do that right like one example would be noticing synchronicity in your life right so there's kind of this idea there's no such thing as a coincidence right and so if if you if you tend to um, appreciate that perspective that's really gearing you towards synchronicity to see wow how did you know that happen and then this happened and everything just um, really opened the door for another opportunity um, to start seeing These uh, synchronicity moments in our lives. And she gives some really nice practical recommendations for how you can begin to cultivate uh, the spiritual life. And so I really highly recommend this book. Uh, My friend who told me she thought I would like it, she was right. I really, really enjoyed it. And I think that, um, you know, you can think about this in terms of your coping skills. Make sure you have some spiritual practices as part of your coping skills right meditation can be thought of as a spiritual practice prayer contemplation all of these things can be very helpful for us um, to to not only um, face life's challenges but do it with resilience do it with joy imagine that to face life's challenges even with joy and so it's absolutely possible I'm not saying it's easy um, but I think this book gives us a lot of hope um, that we can uh, live lives of meaning and so so head on over to my website to check out the show notes with the resources for this episode, including a link to Dr. Miller and her work and this book. Um, so you can find all of that by going to www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash 134 as in episode 134 dash awakened brain. So one more time that's www.drmelissasmith.com forward slash 134. Dash awakened Brain, A W A K E N E D B R A I N. So every um, day I have more information, uh, more learning, more insights from the podcast on my Instagram account. So I'm totally social. I would love to connect with you there. Um, that's at Dr. Melissa Smith. And I'd love to hear what you think of the book and the podcast. So I'm Dr. Melissa Smith. Remember, love and work, work and love. That's all there is. Until next time, take good care.